Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. But we're continuing our series on prayer. We've been talking about prayer for several weeks. Um, Actually, this is our third week talking about prayer. Um, And let's do a brief recap. We start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the same scripture we've been using every week. But praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. See, what this means, praying always with all manner of prayer, with all kinds of prayer. Last week, we talked about the prayer of faith. This week, we're going to talk about a couple different kinds of prayer, two additional kinds. But this prayer is, is, is communing with God. We, we know that if we want to have our prayers answered, we have to abide with Him right? But that praying always with all prayer and supplication, so praying always with all manner of prayer or communion or being with God or abiding with God and supplication, which means your requests, your asking, right? So you're communing and you're asking in the Spirit. That's what that really means. There are times where we just need to commune with God. We just need to be in His presence. We need to be just with Him, abiding, right? Just spending time in the presence, right? Now, Jesus taught us how to pray in John 16. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most surely I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. And now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive so that your joy may be full. When you receive from God, when you're receiving from heaven, it should fill you with joy. When you've spent time with him, when you've abided with him, right? We learned in Mark eleven twenty two the prayer of faith, right? Jesus answered, said unto them, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. For surely I say unto you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, send out doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says shall be done, he'll have whatsoever he says. And then there's the scripture, if you abide in me, that's John fifteen seven. This is all review from last week. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask. That's how you get mountain moving faith is spending time in his presence, abiding with him, being with him, knowing his heart, knowing what the will of the father is. Once you know his will, whether you have it in the written form, which is the word of God, the Bible, or you have a revelation form where he's revealing something to you. When you have his will, it builds faith. That is where we build our faith on. That's the foundations of our faith. We know in in Hebrews 11, six, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. Faith is a requirement to have a relationship with God. Then we talked about the six steps to praying by faith, right? Deciding what you want, finding a scripture basis for your faith, ask God for it, believe that you receive, don't doubt, and give God praise. Those were the six steps. And if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. We are podcasting our Sunday messages. So you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can listen to the message again if you want to go back and you want to go over some of this stuff. So here's my question for you this morning. This is week three that we've been talking about praying and spending time with God. And last week we talked about the prayer of faith. So here's my question for you this morning. What's your faith on? What do you believe in God for? Because I can stand up here every Sunday and will stand up here every Sunday and preach the word. 
and tell you what the Bible says and help teach what's going on and what the, what's on the heart of the Father. But I can't pray your prayers for you. I can't use your faith for you. I can't stand in faith for you. I can't change your life any more than I'm praying that God reveals something to you, but it's your choice that you came this morning. You're here because you made a series of choices to come, right? Some of us made a series of choices to wake up and have cereal, throw on a sweater, hope my hair was in good enough shape that mom doesn't yell at me when I get to church and show up, right? Some of us made a lot more choices and spent a little bit more time thinking about some of those choices and then came to church, right? But everybody made a series of choices to be here this morning. I can't make your choices for you. It was Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches of all time, said this. said that the average football game is made up of 360 to 380 plays from start to finish. You have 380 plays, okay? There are five plays in those 380 that will cause you to win or to lose. The problem is you don't know which five plays they are. So you have to play every play like it's one of the five. See, your life is made up a series of choices. And there could be a choice in your life that completely wrecks your life or a choice in your life that completely launches it into where God has for you. Problem is you don't necessarily know which choices those are. So you have to make every choice thinking, is this the one that's going to send me over or take me under? And you have to put that consideration in every decision that you make, right? We have that time with God. We spend time talking with God. And when God says, do something, when God says, take an action, we have to do something that because faith without works is dead. We also know it says that in the scriptures. I don't think it's in my notes. Faith without works is dead. Faith requires something of you, right? That very first scripture says prayer and supplication. You have to commune with God and you have to ask. There is an action requirement to your faith. Faith requires action, okay? So who's standing in faith for something? Because if we're teaching on the prayer of faith and we're talking about faith and we're teaching on prayer and it hasn't changed or affected your prayer life, then why are you here listening? We have to affect change in us, right? And we know this. Now, let's do a brief synopsis of James chapter one, okay? And these aren't in there, Dave. There'll be a few of them in there. James chapter one. You can go home and you can read this. Write it down in your notes, right? We know in the beginning of James chapter one, testing of your faith produces patience. When you stand in faith, when you're believing God for something, it's gonna be tested, when you step out and say, I'm gonna do this for God, there's gonna be challenges that come at you. There's gonna be obstacles for you to overcome, right? The devil does not want you to produce things by faith. He does not want you to live a life by faith. And when you are choosing to spend time with God and live a life by faith, he's gonna come after you. I couldn't tell you the number of times where I've told people, you get some new revelation, you know, or you have a great Sunday service or something's good and you just knew you heard from God. And that afternoon, all heck breaks loose right? The devil comes quickly to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to knock you off your game. He's trying to get you out of that, right? I've had it happen on the road, going down the road. I'll be praying, all will be well, and then some moron will cut me off, and, I, and then all of a sudden, I'm upset and mad and totally forgot that I just completely shifted gears out of the place of prayer that I was in to paying attention to somebody that was on the road, right? See, the devil will come quickly to throw you off your game, He'll, he'll come quickly. So we know in verse three, testing of your faith produces patience. Verse four, patience work brings completion and no lack. Verse five says, if you don't have wisdom, ask God. It's that simple. You wanna know something? You don't understand something? You need wisdom in an area? It says, ask God and he'll give to man and not hold back. And it says, ask God in faith. 
And we know that enduring temptation will bring a blessing. Now, verse 14 in the Amplified, I want to read this. Every person is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desire, lust, and passions. What pulls you away from the things of God? Your personal desires. That's why the, Paul said, I choose to die daily. I'm going to submit my will. Not my will, but your will be done. What do you? Because his ways, higher than our ways, his thoughts, higher than our thoughts. We need to begin to think like him and not think like us. So we know, verse 15, your fleshly desires will draw you away from the things of God. A person giving themselves solely to the flesh is not a good person. But a series of bad decisions when you're all about what makes me feel good is not going to lead you into a life of success. It's not. It doesn't, when you follow your flesh, it will lead you into sin because your flesh is sinly. When born into this world, you're born in the sin nature. You need the restoration of God to get you back to how he made you to be. But that fleshly sin nature is something that you have to choose to walk away from every day. You cannot be healthy, right, and eat a bunch of garbage. You can't be spiritually healthy and eat a bunch of garbage. People struggle with their weight. Some of us do. Some, some struggle with their just overall health where they look skinny on the outside, but on the inside their blood pressure's high and their cholesterol's off and everything's a mess because their appearances are on the outside. There's a lot of Christians that way. They look like a good Christian on the outside, but on the inside it's just a mess because they're not paying attention to what's going in their spirit man. They're not paying attention to what they're feeding themselves and they might look good on the outside, right? See, I don't want to be a church where people show up on Sunday mornings just putting on airs, putting on a front, Putting on airs is kind of an old school thing. I don't know what the kids are saying these days, but that's what came to mind, right? Putting on, you just got a facelift. It all looks good on the outside, but the insides are just junk. Because this is a place where we're going to come and we're going to lay it all out. And I'll get there in just a minute. Verse 15, it says, your flesh desires draw you away and fleshly desires pulled forth conceives into sin and sin brings death. Following the way of your flesh, the Bible says, will lead you to death. And it says, don't be fooled by your own desires. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Then it says we have to learn how to listen before we respond to things and avoid anger. And I love this because I've been struggling with people that want to scream scripture at you, right? Ever met those people? Verse 20 of, of James chapter one says, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. There it is right there. So it's a passion translation. Human anger. It's never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Never, never. Now, this is where I'm trying to get to. James chapter one, verse 21. And I, this is the Christian Standard Bible, which is Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. What is that moral filth? That moral filth is just going by the desires of the flesh, living a carnal lifestyle where it's just all about what feels good to me. Getting rid of your fleshly desires. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. In other words, the word of the Lord, the revelation knowledge, the things that's going to save you. Put your flesh down and seek after the things of the kingdom. And then it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only or else you deceive yourself. That word be doers actually means be being a doer. It's a continual action. That Greek word is also used in Ephesians 5.18. This will help you understand. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. That be filled with the Spirit is be being filled, right? So if I chose to go out today, and I don't drink and I've never been drunk, but if I choose to go out today and get drunk, I'm not going to still be drunk 
tomorrow or the next week. Maybe tomorrow, but not next week, right? If I want to stay drunk, I have to continue drinking to stay drunk, right? If you want to stay full of the Holy Spirit, you have to continually be being filled with the Spirit. That's that same word up here where it says you are be being a doer of the word. You can't just do the word once and expect your whole life to change. You have to continually make every decision doing the word, every decision doing the word, every decision doing the word. Just like you make every decision, I'm, today I'm gonna get up and spend time with God. Today I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna spend time being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. There is one initial infilling. We're gonna talk about this in a few weeks, being filled with the Spirit. There's one initial infilling and many refillings because you wanna stay full of the Spirit, okay? Now, anyone who is a hearer of the Word, this is James 1.23, and not a doer of the Word. So you come to church, you're listening to the Word of God, but you're not doing anything with it. It's like someone who looks at his own face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and forgets what kind of person he was. But one that looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. The person, this person, will be blessed in what he does. When the word of God comes on a Sunday morning, it is for you to take home and apply to your life, right? Your faith will never grow. Your relationship with God will never grow until you do something with it. It requires actions, right? Now, there is no action that you can do that will earn your salvation. Let's make sure we, your salvation is a gift of grace. You believe in God. You confess him as your Lord and Savior. You are saved. So this is not a action that changes your salvation. This is an action that helps grow your faith because you are be being a doer of the word. The Bible says change this, you make the adjustment. The Bible says stand in faith, you stand in faith. The Bible says ask the Father in the Son's name, you ask the Father in the Son's name. You are changing your lifestyle to the pattern that God originally built in the beginning, the kingdom of heaven, and you are becoming a kingdom person, not a natural person, right? Right? Did you, Brock, you knew how to cook before you started working at Panda Express, right? And you're a pretty good cook. As a matter of fact, you've been cooking for several years, mom taught you how to cook right? But you went into Panda and they said, okay, you might not have to cook, but you're going to cook this way because this is our way, right? Because you're following company standards. You're following something that they've proven throughout the years to produce for their level. The kingdom of heaven is the same way. We might come into heaven saying, well, we know how to do something, but God's saying, this is my way and it's going to be better than your way. People that consistently fight the way are going to end up in problems and not be part of the kingdom. But see, we're, we are trying to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded, right? So whose, whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts? His are. Whose ways are higher than your ways? See, what happens when we keep ourselves out of God's thoughts and God's ways is we step into pride. That's where pride comes in. Pride keeps us from stepping into God's way because it's saying my way is better. I can see how to do this, right? You know where the number one area that pride wrecks most Christians? is they put prayer last. How many, how many have had that conversation with somebody? All oh, heck broke loose and then they're sick and they're in the hospital and, and everything has gone really bad. Maybe we should pray, right? If all else fails, pray. Because most people use prayer as some sort of parachute. I have fallen out of the plane. I am falling to my death. I need to pull a cord and have something save me. And that's how they view prayer. Of my world is falling apart. I need to pull a cord of prayer and have God step in and save me. When God's saying, if you'd have been praying all along, you would have never ended up anywhere near the situation. See, these problems are still gonna come. 
but it's how we respond to the problems, how we respond to the issues. When we are walking the walk of prayer, there's times he's gonna say, step left, and you step left and you avoid something, right? Or he's saying, hey, this is coming up, you need to be prepared. He's trying to show you things to come. He's trying to give you wisdom. He's trying to teach you this, but that word prayer, abiding with him, and then asking, abiding with him, and then asking is a lifestyle that most people will never obtain because it means putting your desires and your flesh down and spending time with him and doing what God wants. But see, most people think they can do better or they think God is going to send them to Africa to be a missionary in the wilderness. That was a big thing back in the 80s and 90s. Everybody's like, I'm not sure I can give my life to God. He's gonna send me to Africa, right? But see, I just go back to this. It's the Abraham principle. He asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Did he really want him to sacrifice Isaac? No. Did he want him to be willing? Yes. Does God really want you to go to Africa? Probably not. But does he want you to be willing? See, where there is an unwillingness in your heart in one area, you've not made him Lord. You've just left him Savior. See, Savior is always there. Jesus is our Savior, and he's our door into heaven. He says, I am the door, right? He said that in the New Testament. He's our door into heaven, and that's our Savior. When you make him Lord is when you say, I'm going to do what you want instead of what I want. There's a difference between the two. A lot of people have Jesus as Savior. Very few people have started to make him Lord. And yes, you can make him Lord over one area of your life and not another area of your life. Oh, you can come in and you can do this, but don't touch this, right? You can be Lord over my time and I'll go volunteer at the church and I'll sing in the worship team, but don't ask me to give any money because you're not the Lord over my finances. It could be the opposite. You're the Lord of my finances. I'll give all kinds of stuff to the church, but when they want me to come pass out bags to the poor, I'm too busy. You can just hear, here's some more money because you're Lord over my money, but you're not Lord over my time. See, there are people that will allow him to degrees of lordship into their life. Now, I digress. None of this is in my notes, but uh, apparently it's what the Lord wanted to say this morning. Prayer only works when you use it. It only works when you use it. It only works when you apply it, when you spend time with him. We talked about the prayer of faith last week because that is the foundation fundamental prayer that when you understand that, you'll begin to understand a lot of other prayer because prayer requires faith, requires faith in God. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the title deed like we talked about last week. It is our title to what we are promised through the covenant that we have with Abraham, right? So that prayer of faith is important. The, thing, the next thing we're talking about this morning, we're talking about the prayer of agreement. Now, the prayer of agreement is where two people come together in agreement to believe God for something. Now, this is crucially important because the prayer of agreement is, is requiring people to be on the same page, right? People to be on the same page. You see, in the New Testament, this, is, <laughs> this isn't in my notes either. In the New Testament, the, the new church was getting together, right? And they all voted and they all agreed on the same thing to appoint several people, right? How many times have you been in a church where the pastor wanted something and 100% of the people were in agreement? I don't know that I've ever been in a group of anything, church, business, school, anywhere where you had 100% agreement. Very few situations, right? The devil has done nothing but try to divide relationships for years. Our pastor back in Illinois prophesied at the beginning of COVID that this was one of the major things the devil was trying to do was divide every righteous relationship. And what happened with COVID? It was very dividing. Even Christian amongst Christian, 
vaccine or no vaccine, right? Mask or no mask. Even amongst believers in the same house, even amongst family members in the same family with divided opinions. That whole thing, what did it try to do is split people, divide relationships, divide people apart. Why? Why? Let's talk, let's talk about this. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do a synopsis and then I'm going to read a few scriptures. In Matthew 18, the disciples started this chapter by asking Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? So there was the 70 disciples, then there was the 12 disciples. There was the 70 that followed Jesus and then he appointed these 12. These are the 12, right? Which most people don't know. He appointed those 12 after spending a night, all night long praying and then appointed the 12 apostles, which are disciples, right? They came to him and said, who's the greatest? And he's looking at him going, oh, Lord, these disciples that you gave me, but they're concerned. Who's the greatest? Who's the best out of all of us? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When we get to heaven, are we going to be the top dogs? You know, I can just imagine them hanging around and Jesus going, Lord have mercy. Have you not listened to anything I've said? (laughs) Right? What does Jesus respond when they came to him and said, who's the greatest? He brought a child up. That was his first response in Matthew 18 too. He says, become like a child. These are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because they didn't quite understand. See, he's using an analogy because they weren't quite getting it. Because children have a humility to them natural and a childlike faith to them that's natural that we grow out of. Oh, you'll grow out of that childlike faith. Well, I don't want to grow out of my childlike faith, right? If Daxel were to come to me and say, Dad, there is this brand new Under Armour sweatshirt at the mall that I saw that looks so awesome. And I really want this. Can I have that? And I'm thinking to myself, I want to buy this for him, but I need, you know, I'm thinking to my head, he doesn't need to know all of my business, but I want to wait till next paycheck, right? How many parents have been through that? We need to wait till next paycheck. So I look at him and say, yes, you can have it, but not right now, right? So two days go by, Daxel comes back. Does he look at dad and say, can I have this sweatshirt? No, that's not his response. His response is he comes back to dad and says, is today the day? Is today the day? Are we going to the mall today? Can we go to the mall today? Is today the day? Can I get the sweatshirt today? Why? Because I already told him he can, even though he doesn't have it, he's asking is today the day? See, that's childlike faith. So we go to God and we say, God, I need this blessing in my life, whether it's financial or healing or, or, or direction or whatever. We know God will give it to us because the word has already told us to. And we ask him for it, knowing that his answer is going to be yes, based on the word of God. And then we just stand in faith, knowing he's going to give it to us. Is today the day? Are you going to reveal it to me today? If not, oh, okay, it's fine. Probably be tomorrow then, right? And you wake up tomorrow, same childlike faith. That's a, that's a very simple version of how faith works. We know he's promised to us. He's already said that it's ours. So we stand in faith knowing He's already said it, right? Dax will never question, is dad ever gonna buy this for me? Now, some families, there's a reason why the devil's after families. Some families might have a dad that says yes and then never follows through. And then you've taught your child that the authority figure that promises yes will never do it for you. And then you wonder why they have no faith in God and walk away from their scripture because you've taught them that leadership in their life never follows through. Right? How many times do we struggle with our walk with God because of somebody that hurt us in the past? Where we treat God like he's the one that hurt us because someone else hurt us and yet we have a hard time trusting God because we lost trust in people. And then take it one step further. 
We have a hard time trusting God because we lost trust in Christians, church members, people we went to church with, people we were close to, a pastor that at one point in time was mentoring us and decided to go the way of the flesh and then ruined all credibility we had with leadership in the church. This happened a lot. Ministers who fall or get their head too big or, you know, because we don't worship man. We worship God. We worship God. They look at him and they say, Jesus, we're not, quite, we're not really quite sure about this, who's the greatest in the kingdom. And then he says, well, what about, he gives you the parable of the lost sheep. I'm going to leave the 99 and go after the one. I'm going to go after the one that's all alone in broken fellowship. Then he walks through in verse 15 through 18, he walks through how to restore brother if he sins against you, right? That's where he says the, the, the seven times seven. How many times shall he forgive someone? Seven times seven. 449 times he says is that every day and he says, that's every minute of every hour what is Jesus trying to tell us here he gave us three pictures childlike faith the lost sheep and forgiving brothers he's trying to teach us that the one that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one that works to keep restoration between relationships because where two or more are gathered which it says in Matthew 18 19 truly I tell you if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for it will be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name I am there among them see he just laid it out for him who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven the person who keeps people gathered in my name agreeing together standing in faith and seeing things change See, he laid it out in this whole picture for us. He taught us about the importance of keeping everything together. It's why the devil's after marriages. It's why he tries to come between husband and wife because when husband and wife, you instantly have two. You instantly have the power of agreement when you're in marriage if you can get an agreement. Now, the disciples still don't get it after Jesus says two or more are gathered. And then they say, well, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus goes into the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Where the man forgave the man talents and then he turned around and beat on his servant asking for money back. Do you remember that story? See, there is an importance in maintaining relationships and bringing people into the church, right? And not letting things come between you. As the church grows, as more people come in, there's going to be somebody eventually that irritates you. There's personalities, whether it's quirks or anything, there's going to be something. There, people just are going to irritate each other. It's just natural. You can be in the same house, and there could be days where I'm going, this person is irritating. <laughs> right? And unfortunately, when I said this person, all of you instantly had a name in your head right? Because you've had that experience. It's something we all walk through, right? And it's not all the same name. It's different based on the home that you're in and the situation you're in. And we're like this person, right? Or at a previous church where you're like this person at that church that tested my patience to grow my faith, right? That tested my patience and pushed my buttons and like they knew which buttons to push or at work. It's the same way. There's that person. But God says, the two are more gathered together in my name. If you'll ask anything, it shall be done to you. Now, let me show you why. In Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either fails, he has a companion that can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. See how many times in this world, 
has it been this dog eat dog of I want you to fall so that I can get promoted instead of I want to see you succeed so that together we can see more. But see, this world is out to divide people, to split people, to compete person against person. The Bible says that's not how the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is as you get promotion when you've helped somebody else get promoted. Do you know faith works the same way? If you're believing God for $1,000 because you have a huge financial need that's going on in your life, if you'll take your faith and find somebody else that's believing God for money and start praying and asking God for them to get blessed, you're more likely and more likely to receive or receive quicker in your life when you use your faith for someone else first because it's how the kingdom of heaven works. When you're believing God for someone else and you're agreeing and standing in faith for them means you're putting kingdom things first above your own desires and God will see it all met. Instead of a person that just comes to church saying, what, I, what can I get out of God? What do you have for me? Right? That's the kind of person that's like, well, I don't go to church anymore because I wasn't feeling it. Or the pastor just wasn't preaching it anymore. No, what was really happening is, is the pastor wasn't doing your faith for you, doing your praying for you. You weren't seeing any change in your life and you got frustrated and left. And that is what happens to most people and why they switch churches so much. Because they never take it and apply it to their life. Now, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together without having agreed to meet? Right? Can you just show up at the church building and hope to have church if there's no agreed upon time to be here? Right? We know we show up and have church 10 a.m. on Sundays, and you know that we're agreeing to meet at this time, so now we can walk together. I know it seems very simple. It seems very plain, but sometimes we don't think about that. In Acts 2.1, Young's literal translation says, And in the day of Pentecost being fulfilled, they were all with one accord in the same place. That's how the prayer agreement works. You have to be in one accord and in the same place. And I'm not talking about a Honda. Got to be in one accord, meaning in unity, agreeing for the same thing, the same purpose, and being in the same place. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Because it's been reported to me that there's rivalry among you, is what he's saying. There's problems and contentions. Why, what happens when there's rivalry in the church? The church isn't able to come together in united faith and see the power of God move. What happens when they were gathered together the day of Pentecost being in one accord in one place? The Holy Spirit fell. They walked out of that place and 3,000 people got saved. That's what happens when you get in one accord in one place. The Lord shows up, the Lord moves, and the world has changed. That's why the devil is after and trying to divide relationships because when that prayer of agreement comes together, especially as a, a united prayer, which is what we're gonna talk about next, a corporate prayer as a church, when all of us are on the same page believing for the same thing, the power of God shows up and miraculous things happen. Why? For the saving of mankind. See, that's the ultimate goal is salvations. People's lives being changed. Us coming together and believing God together it's to see lives changed. It's not to see more money come in the offering. It's not to see a bigger building. It's not to see a higher definition of television, right? It's not to see a rock concert on Sunday mornings. Now, I love great worship, and I love when worship sounds good and everybody is very talented what they do when it's about God and not a show. And there's a difference. But united prayer, corporate prayer, is crucial to see salvations happen. And how do I know salvations need to happen? 
Well, because I downloaded the news app, WEAR Channel 3 News. Homeless man dies on the side of the road of hypothermia. My heart breaks. My heart breaks. Man stabbed in self-defense in his own home. My heart breaks. Man shoots his girlfriend and then kills himself. These are all local news stories that I've read in the paper in the last week. Man shoots himself after killing his girlfriend. My heart breaks. The devil came between them and took both of their lives. There are people in Pensacola that are literally dying every week that need Jesus. They need hope. They need hope. What drives a person to that level is no hope. Hopelessness. When they need to know that Jesus and the gift of salvation is free and will change their world and their circumstances from this negative that they're in to having a successful, blessed, prosperous life. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Reaching out and changing people's lives, bringing them into the kingdom, helping them get saved, helping them change their life, and helping them reach other people. That's what discipleship is. That's the picture of discipleship. That's what the devil's after when he's trying to divide righteous relationships. If he can keep the church focused on a concert in the front, if he can keep the church focused on arguing with each other and trying to see who has the bigger Cadillac in the parking lot, if he can keep the church divided and arguing over which chairs to buy when we move into the new building, if he can keep the church divided on whether the worship was too loud or too quiet, if he can keep the church divided and arguing he will keep them from witnessing to the lost and getting people saved because they're too focused and distracted on things of this world instead of being paying attention to what's important to God and on his heart. It's just too many distractions. But united prayer and corporate prayer is this. In Acts 3, at the very beginning, again, I'm going to do a summary. Acts 3, Peter and John were headed to the temple to pray at a designated time. Do you have a designated time every day that you pray? Where you go, I'm going to meet with God. Remember? Can two or more agree to meet unless they meet together, right? If, if God doesn't, if God knows that you're going to be up and you're praying at the same time every morning, he knows you're going to be there. And now he's expecting you, right? God knows we're gathering together Sunday morning at 10 a.m. He's here with us. Two or more gathered, I am there with him. He's here with us this morning. That's what the Bible says. Do we believe the word is true, right? Do you have a place where you get up every morning, right? They had a designated time to pray. Now, luckily it doesn't say that designated time was 5 a.m. every morning and you need to be up at 5 a.m. praying. <laughs> I don't read that anywhere, right? Doesn't really matter what time it is. Could be I'm gonna give God the last 30 minutes before I go to bed every night. Now, in Acts uh, 3, verse 2, they, they were at the gate called Beautiful, and there was a lame man, right? And that's when he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, rise and walk, right? They preached after the man was healed. See, the man was healed, and he went about telling everybody, I was lame. I was the man at the gate called Beautiful. I was the beggar that was asking you for money. And look at me now, I'm running around, right? He created a big stir. And what did Peter and John do after there was a big stir and a big crowd? They started preaching, and people got saved. God moved, life was changed, people got saved. See the end result in this? Why does the miraculous happen? Because God cared about people just as much as he cared about the man. But he's gonna use that miracle to draw people into the kingdom of heaven. 
When there is a miracle in your life, when something happens in your life that's miraculous or God moves in your life, that's a testimony. That's something for you to testify of him. If God is doing something for you and, and it just miraculously changes your life and you don't tell anyone else about it, you are, you are saying, God, that's a great, but I'm just gonna keep that between us. When he's saying, I'm doing this for you so that you can testify of me because the glory comes to me. When you keep it to yourself, you're keeping the glory to yourself. And God's saying, glory goes up here, right? All glory goes to God. When a blessing comes in and we turn around and tell somebody else about how, God, how good God is and watch, he blessed my life and he can bless yours. He's using that, that testimony, right? Shall win them by the word of your testimony, blood of the lamb and word of your testimony is what the Bible says. It's all about getting people saved. In Acts chapter four, in the first 10 verses, after preaching salvation, see the man got healed. A bunch of people came around. They preached a bunch of salvations, Right? What did the church do? By the church, I mean the Jewish leaders. They arrested him, questioned him, put him in jail, right? Discuss the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they were sad, you see. Never mind. Ah, Told them, you can't preach, and then release them from jail because that miracle was so powerful, was so known, and that man had told so many people they literally couldn't keep them in prison because they had a riot on their hands because they were moved by the miracle that happened. And so they told them, well, you can't preach anymore and they released them. What did they do after they were told, you can't preach anymore and they released them? That's where we get to Acts chapter four, verse 23. After they were permitted to go, the apostles returned to their own company and told all that the chief priests and elders had done to them. What did they do? They returned to their own company. They went to church. So this is what's going on. We're trying to be restricted. They're trying to tell us not to preach. They're trying to tell us to stay off the streets and that God can't move, right? See, here's the problem with most people when they run across adversity, when they run across somebody telling them they can't do something, they don't have a company to go to. They have no company. They have no body of believers to go together and say, I need help praying for this because this is huge. We're fighting against something big here. These were the leaders of the Jewish synagogues. These were the Sadducees. These were the educated ones, the ones that had been supposedly studying the word, right? They were the leaders telling them, you can't preach Jesus. And this was serious. So they, what did they do? They went back to the church and said, they're telling us we can't preach. And in Acts 4.24, so when they heard of it, what did they do? They raised their voice to God with one accord. They all got an agreement and said, this is not right. Jesus told us we need to preach salvation. We are all in agreement about this. And they said, Lord, you are God who has made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is with him. And by whose mouth you are for your servant David. What did they do? Whose mouth your servant David? They're quoting Old Testament. Why are they quoting Old Testament? Because they're doing the prayer of faith that I just told you about, which is the basis for the prayer of unity and commitment. They went back to the word and said, we've got scripture on this, right? Why did the nations raise and why did the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered against the Lord who is his Christ? They went to the Bible and said, we have a foundation in the word to stand in faith to see something changed. They took the prayer of faith and did something with it put that in their united prayer then it says in verse 27 for truly against your holy servant jesus whom you've anointed both herod and pontius pilate with the gentiles and the people of israel gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose to be done they knew the word of the lord they knew the will of the lord and they were praying it in verse 29 now lord look on their hearts grant your service servants they found the word right 
They knew the will of the Lord, and now they're asking. They're following the prayer of faith. They're asking, grant your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out our hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What happened when the leaders told them they couldn't lead? They went back to their church. Their church got an agreement. Their church got in faith. They found a scripture to stand on and they said, God, help us preach the word with boldness and see miracles and signs and wonders following. They assumed responsibility instead of walking away from it. Verse 31 says, says when they had prayed because they were in unity because they were in agreement because they were standing on the word of the God the place where they assembled together was shaken the whole building began to shake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit now wait a minute this is Acts chapter 4 the same people that got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 when the fire fell as tongues and 3,000 got saved and now it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. Remember, there's an infilling and then there's many refillings. What happened? They prayed in unity, got so full of the Spirit, the whole place started shaking. They took that prayer of faith and the prayer of unity and being in the church and the prayer of agreement. They all came in agreement together and they implemented multiple prayers all together in agreement and the building shook power of God fell so strong literal buildings started shaking and they began to preach the word with boldness and accomplish what God told them to do that's what united prayer is supposed to do so what's God's will for us at living word Pensacola that's where I want to finish today in Habakkuk 2 1 it says this I will stand watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and so what I will answer when I am corrected when the Lord answered me and said write the vision make it plain on tablets that he who may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because surely it will come and it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So what do we know by this? We know this. We have to stand watch. We have to know when we have to go to God and ask him, what's the will for our church? Which I've done already. As your pastor, that's part of my responsibility is to know the direction the church is supposed to go in, right? So we've stood watch, set ourselves apart, right? That's part of that. I'm walking away from social media. I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to get in the presence of God and see what he has to say with me. And then when he says, I'm going to, he says, I'm going to answer when I'm corrected. In other words, when he brings this out, it's going to require me to die to my flesh and get some correction in my life and live to the Lord and, and produce his kingdom. Then he said, write the vision and make it plain. Write the vision and make it plain. We can't be in agreement unless we're all believing God for the same thing. How are we supposed to believe God for the same thing? If it's not written down somewhere, if it's not publicized somewhere, if it's not notified somewhere of what we're supposed to do, right? For the vision, what God wants Living Word Pensacola to do is for an appointed time. And it says it might tarry, but wait for it. In other words, what God is telling us to do, we're probably not going to see next Sunday because it requires faith right? When we requires faith from us, we know we have a word of the Lord and this is what we're supposed to do. And we're going to ask him this morning in prayer for these things to happen. And then we are going to stand receiving and believe and praise and celebrate him for it. Even before we see it, we're going to take the prayer of faith and the prayer of agreement and the prayer of unity this morning to see change affected in our church. That's what it does. 
So what's the first thing God said that we need to do this morning? What is the very first thing? Is we have to have our will match his will. Dave, you can put the first slide up there. We have to reach people, right? Everything that happened in the New Testament with the New Testament church was all about getting people saved. We have to reach people. But to reach people, that needs to start in prayer. And that's to start in prayer, right? This isn't about just having a full church. This isn't about growing the church and just seeing numbers changed. This is about, this is 50 people who are stopping the path of destruction that they're on and turning their life towards Christ and seeing change affected in their world. This is 50 people that won't end up in the newspaper article that I was reading. And why 50? That's the number God gave me, which I was very happy with. Because if God said, believe for 250, I'm like, well, we don't even have a building that seats 250. How am I supposed to believe God for 250 people? And 50 seems a stretch because we had 50 more people into this building. It's going to get a little crowded. But God said, stand having the word of the Lord, which this is the word of the Lord, came in prayer, a time of prayer with pastor spending time with God, saying, you need to believe me for 50 souls. This is people that are getting saved, people looking for a church. This is growth. But it starts in prayer. You have not because you ask not. We, you need to write together and pray and believe God, Lord, send us people. But see, it requires more than just me. I'm gonna stand up here and preach. The worship team is gonna worship and they're gonna sing. But when these people start to come in, they are gonna need you guys in the discipleship process to help them grow. Whether it's people that you invite from school and they're like, okay, your dad preached and now I've got a bunch of questions. It's for you to take this word, to go home and study it, to be able to help your friends understand the word of God. That happens with everyone here. They're gonna come to you and say, all right, I don't quite understand this and ask questions. I know that happens at work because Jeff tells me sometimes Deb comes in and she's got questions, right? But that's what's happening. Deb's asking questions because Jeff invited her to church. It's a great picture of what discipleship looks like where we're helping each other grow. We're helping each other get in a better position of faith. But if we want to see this place grow to affect change, to see more people's lives changed because we care about their salvations and we don't want them to end up in hell, then we have to start asking God, God, send us people. Send us people. Send us people that we can show your love. Send us people, Father, that we can show your compassion, that we can help them. We can bring them into the fold to help build each other up, right? Because when one man is weak, someone else is gonna come alongside to strengthen them up. When one man is cold, it got warmer when all of us got in the building. It started moving around a little bit. It was really cold when I came in by myself this morning, right? So what happens? You get more people in this building, we won't need quite as many heaters because you got 50 people breathing and it's gonna start getting warm. It's just the na nature of the beast, right? But that's 50 people that need their lives touched by God so that they can grow and they can be stronger and they can see united. They can have their families changed. They can have their marriages changed. They can see their kids' lives turn around instead of turning to drugs and alcohol and problems in this world. They can see their families changed. They can see their lives changed. But God's telling us, ask, ask. Now, because we're asking for 50 people, we're also gonna ask for a little bit different place, right? And there are things when I was praying and saying, okay, God, you, you're gonna have something for us next because if, if we're gonna ask for 50 people and 50 people show up, we're gonna very quickly outgrow this building and need something different, right? We're gonna need to be able to accommodate what God is sending us. We're going to need to be, right? When I decided to have kids and all of a sudden they told me it's two, we had to change accommodations. <laughs> we had to move things around. We had to put up an extra crib, right? 
And thank the Lord Jesus that uh, the Baby Depot had to buy one, get one free for twins. It was great. You buy one crib, got second one for free. It was awesome. And they had a whole twin thing. You, the second one was free when you had the twins. 20 per, whatever. It, uh, yeah, it was a discount. It saved money. But when we're asking God, send us people, we're also going to need to start believing God for what's next so when they come, we're not scrambling to figure out what to do. We're already believing God for what's next to come along with the increase of people. So, in the next building, I believe we should pray for these things. We have about 900 square feet here in this building. I think we should more than double that. About 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. We need a sanctuary that seats at least 100 people to have room to grow. Like a room for nursery and kids, right? How many times has a mom had a young baby and come in and have a hard time paying attention in church if the kids are fussing? We want a nursery to minister to the babies and to minister to the mothers. We'd like an office, a foyer welcome area so you don't have to open the door and come right into church. Although it's not a bad and we love it right now, but you know, and we want heat and air. I know it's simple and I put it at the bottom and I put an exclamation point because it's cold in here this morning. We want some forced heat and air and an insulated building and a wonderful, you know, but this is a, this is a faith statement. This is a faith, and the next slide is even a bigger faith statement because I wanna see all of this for 2,500 a month or less. And in Pensacola, it's gonna be almost unheard of because I've already looked. But this is the number. Again, prayed and asked God. This is the number God said. Right? But God said, are you gonna limit me? I'll find you a place. Right? I'm not above believing God just can't walk up and have somebody say, here, here's a building. Just use it free for your first year and after that we'll work out a deal. Right? God can do anything he wants to do if we don't put limitations on him. But we have to start putting our faith somewhere. But this is what we want to start asking God for. Now, again, we're going to take the prayer of faith when you're at home and we're not at church. The prayer of faith applies to the same area. We have the word of the Lord. We know what we're believing God for, right? If you want a copy of the things that were on there, just shoot me a text or an email and I'll send you a copy of the list that you can be, have that at home and you can be praying for that, right? So we have the word of the Lord because Pastor Paul spent time praying God, the presence of God, and God said, this is what you need to believe me for, right? So now we have something to build our faith off of, and this morning, we're gonna ask. We're gonna stand in agreement, in faith, and we're going to ask God to bring these things to pass. And then from this moment on, we're gonna all begin to thank him for it. We probably won't see that next Sunday. If 50 people show up next Sunday... <laughs> I'm gonna need some of y'all to step up and do some helping and greeting and we've got a whole lot of things that are going on. But a lot's gonna change between now and then. I would love it if 50 people showed up next Sunday. And I'm not saying God can't make that happen. Are we ready? Are we ready as a church to see that kind of growth on that kind of scale? See, that's the things, that's the incremental changes we've been making in things that we've been doing in the way churches ran and how things are set up. And you might get a tap on the shoulder that says, hey, I want you to be on the greeting team and stand at the door and welcome people when they come in, right? Hey, I want you to be on the cleaning team and come on an off day and help come in and clean the church. You might get a tap on your shoulder to do something that changes the way that our operations happen so that we can handle the increase that God's sending our way. Can you imagine what happened when they got together in the upper room? Power of God fell. They went out. 3,000 people got saved, and they said, okay, we had 120 in that room upstairs. We are not fitting 3,150 people in that room. We now have to find somewhere to fit 31 because they had the 3,000 that got saved plus 120 that were up there. 3,120 is the number they're at. And then they got another 5,000 saved. Now they got 8,100, well, yeah, 8,120 people in the church. See what happens? 
But see, I'm not going to stand in faith and believe God for a building the size of the big Baptist church down the street either and then have 10 people in there. But see, we're going to grow as a church as our faith grows as a church, as we stand in faith and believe God incrementally for growth. Why? Because there's still people sitting at home in their houses on Sunday mornings wondering if anybody loves them, wondering if anybody cares about them. Some have ultimately taken their own life because no one said, you know what? God loves you. God loves you more than any person can love you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you wanting or hungry. He has such blessings in store for you if you just give your heart to him. That's what they need to hear. That's the message people need to hear, a life-changing message. And you know where they're gonna hear it first? It's through your hugs, your actions, your words, your kindness. We are the biggest example of Jesus' love in this world. Are we living it? Amen? So, let's go back to our big slide, Dave, or the one with all the words on it. The middle one, I think, is the second slide that was there. That one right there, perfect. And we're gonna pray this morning. Father, we come before you as living word Pensacola, Father, humbly here as a plant, the beginnings of great things to come in this community, Father. You've got great plans in store for this place. You gave us the word, Lord, that we need to reach out and we need to start believing you for 50 souls, for 50 people whose lives need to be changed. So, Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name that you send those 50 people here into church across our path throughout our week into our businesses and even into Best Buy. (laughs) Father, you send those people across our path so that we can be an example of your love to them and show them there there is someone out there who died on a cross for their sins, who loved them so much he sent his only son. Father, they need to experience your love. Father, guide our feet. Guide our path. Let us be that light in this world. Let's invite them to church so that they can grow, Father, while being surrounded by stronger Christians. That if they're struggling, they can come to their company and stand in faith to see change in their life. When there's problems that they rise in their life, Father, they can come to their company and be built up and be encouraged. Father, I just ask for those 50 people right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for them. We know you're gonna send them this way, Father. We know you're gonna bring them to us. Father, which is gonna lead us into needing a different place and a bigger building. So Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name, for at least a 2,500-square-foot building. We ask for a sanctuary that seats at least 100, Father, and the chairs to go with it. We ask, Father, for, for nursery area, for our kids' area, for an office and a foyer, for heat and air, Father, for a temperature-controlled building so that we can gather together as believers and share your love. Father, and at a price, less than 2,500 that you've set your heart on, Father, that you've told us to believe for, a price that we can afford so that we continue to put money into the kingdom, so that we continue to to reach out to the people of Pensacola. Father, begin to turn our hearts towards people of Pensacola and our prayers towards them. Father, my heart yearns for the people of this community to see life change and not to wallow, Father, in pain and agony of being hurt by people and hurt by life, but, Father, to be blessed and successful and an overcomer and a child of the kingdom of heaven. Father, we ask these things by faith in Jesus' name. And from this day forward, Father, we will thank you for it until you bring it into fruition. 
And when that happens, Father, we will celebrate with joy and then begin to ask you for what's next. Father, thank you for the commission you've put on this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a wonderful day. Go with God and know wherever you go, you're spreading his love to someone who needs to hear it. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.